Did Old Testament saints immediately go to heaven when they died, or did Jesus have to go down to Abraham's bosom to witness to them and to minister to them to bring them into heaven? We're going to talk about that today, and we're going to take more of your questions on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Hello and welcome to BibleStudyPodcast.org. I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Today is Wednesday, October the 10th. And of course, on Wednesdays, we do apologetics and current issues. And every second Wednesday of the month, we do question and answers. So what we've done for this podcast today, for this lesson, I've taken some of your questions that you guys have emailed me, and we're going to try and give you guys some kind of intelligent answer, hopefully. So uh, anyway, I always love doing this. This is always such a blessing for me. I hope it's a blessing for you guys as well and that it's something that you guys enjoy. I definitely intend for BibleStudyPodcast.org to be more than just a ministry that you can listen to. I want us to be a ministry that you can interact with. And so, you know, both Justin and Matt, these are things that I've talked about with them, you know, uh, from the very beginning. You know, they, they understood, and, and I understand that this is something we want some interaction from you guys. So whenever you have questions, don't be shy. You can email us, let us know what your questions are. If we can't answer them in a podcast, we will try to get back to you through email. So I hope you guys are having a great week. You know, I have uh, my fall break next week, and I just can't even tell you how much I'm looking forward to that. Although, you know what, my teachers this week are just assigning all the more reading for us to do next week, so uh, it kind of offsets the time off we're supposed to have, but that's okay. I'm looking forward to it anyway. But, uh, you know, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with our first question. Our first question comes from Jen, who writes, I was speaking with a friend, and he asked me if someone who had accepted Christ was truly saved if he only believed because he was afraid of hell. I remember vaguely knowing that there is a passage that relates to this and says that, that despite the way someone came to faith, they are still saved. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good question. Can we, get to, can we get to heaven just by being afraid of hell? So thank you for that question, Jen. That's a good question. I appreciate that question, and I don't think that's uh, a question that I've specifically addressed or answered before. So let me start off by saying that uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if when we get to heaven someday— we realize that more than half of the saints in heaven are there due to a fear from hell, a fear of hell rather than a desire for heaven, at least initially. I do believe that initially the fear of experiencing you know, eternal punishment can force a person to seek ways of escaping punishment. That's just something that we naturally do. We're always looking for ways of avoiding consequences. That's that's kind of part of our nature. And that's okay. I, I believe that that's perfectly fine. But in turn, this fear of experiencing punishment can draw a person to seek God, which certainly, you know, unquestionably opens them up to receiving and accepting the gospel. However, however, uh, the, the fear of hell in and of itself, just the fear of hell in and of itself would be insufficient for salvation. You know, I honestly don't believe that anybody is going to be forced into hell, if you ask me. Our study on the book of Romans has shown us that denying the existence of uh, of God and the righteousness of God is a conscious and deliberate decision. So that's something everybody, 
Everybody who is going to hell has made a conscious and deliberate decision to reject God's love. And we've also learned that the person who seeks God in faith, believing that he is or that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him will find him. And that's Hebrews 11.6. Now, there are several passages that you might be referring to. And, you know, I was looking at a couple of them. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure which one that might be, but there's one verse which might give us a little bit of insight into uh, into this question or in, into this issue, and that's from Luke chapter 12, verse 5, in which Jesus teaches, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, I think we could probably all agree that, that fearing God is the appropriate response to acknowledging his existence and to acknowledging the existence of hell. So rather than fearing hell itself, we should fear God. By fearing hell, though, we can be drawn to a fear of God. And by fearing God, we necessarily acknowledge that he exists. Now, of course, we don't know if a person believes in God only because they're afraid of hell or if they believe in God and enter into this uh, this personal relationship with him that we're created for. You know, only God can judge that because God judges us by our hearts. But but I am certain that only having a fear of hell is insufficient for salvation. Somebody has to take that a couple steps further. They have to acknowledge that God exists. They have to seek God in faith. And uh, through their faith, I believe that if it is true faith, they will be drawn to Jesus which is the only means of salvation. So thank you, Jen. That's a very good question. Thank you for sending that in, and God bless you. Uh, Our next question comes from Scott, who is from New Zealand, and that's awesome. I I love learning that uh, people around the world are listening. You know, Malaysia, uh, I got an email from somebody in in Taiwan, Japan, Europe, Africa. It's amazing to find out uh, how many people around the world, Iraq, there's somebody in Iraq who listens to us. Uh, but it's amazing to find out how many people around the world are, are listening and how many countries are represented in our listening audience. But anyway, Scott writes, My question is concerning original sin. I'm not too good in my understanding of the Bible as you are yet, but I heard that all men have original sin from Adam and Eve. However, I'm pretty sure I read a verse that stated no child is responsible for another's sin or that of their parents or their parents' parents, etc., I just wondered if you could clarify this for me if you already have not. So first of all, uh, of course, thank you, Scott. That's a that's a good question. That's a legitimate question, and it's not something that I've addressed just yet. So thank you for sending that in. But this is something that we'll get very much into. This is definitely an issue that we'll address when we reach the fifth chapter of Romans, which has more to say about original sin and, and our sin nature than possibly any other passage in scripture. But original sin doesn't mean that a child or offspring is somehow responsible for the sin of their parent or their grandparent or or any other person for that matter. We're all responsible for our own sins individually. We're not going to be judged for anybody else's sins except our own. Mankind's essential nature was corrupted as a result of the disobedience of Adam and Eve that we find in Genesis chapter 3. Adam's sin affected not only himself, 
but it affected his offspring as well. And as a result, everyone who's generated from Adam inherits a sinful nature from him. So, and that's that's why in, in Psalm 51, 5, David writes, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So not only was mankind's essential nature corrupted in the Garden of Eden, but all of creation became corrupted as well. So the offspring of Adam and Eve, which you can trace all the way up to, you know, you and me today, uh, all of the offspring of Adam and Eve are born into this corrupted creation. And because we're born into this corrupted creation, and because we're the offspring of corrupted creation, a corrupted person, which ultimately would be Adam, if you want to trace it all the way back to him, we ourselves have been corrupted in our nature as well. Now, exactly how we inherit this sin nature is that's up for debate it's a subject that's generated a lot of controversy a lot of debate over the centuries but it's undeniable that scripture does teach that we have an essentially sinful nature now we're going to take this subject by the horns when we uh, when we reach the fifth chapter of Romans so definitely be sure to stick around until then because that's that's definitely a good question and that's important enough that Paul devoted you know pretty much an entire chapter of the book of Romans to that subject so stick around till the fifth chapter and you will probably get an even better answer than I just gave you there so but hopefully that that suffices for you hopefully that's a that's a good enough answer God bless you Scott thank you for listening thank you for emailing and thank you for your question now I received several emails uh, from you guys giving sending me questions after the Romans chapter 3 verse 25 lesson a couple weeks ago in which I talked about how people were saved before the crucifixion and the part of this verse which is in question or which you know stirs up questions says this was to demonstrate his righteousness this being the crucifixion this was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of god he passed over the sins previously committed and what i was saying is that uh what this tells us is that old testament saints were saved by jesus looking by looking forward to him the same way that we're saved by jesus looking backward to him so i know this created a lot of questions and one writer caleb uh sent in a question saying In your most recent podcast, you stated that the Old Testament saints, uh, such as Abraham, Enoch, etc., were credited the righteousness because of God's timeless perspective. But I can remember ever since I was little hearing about Abraham's bosom and how the Old Testament saints went there and waited for Jesus to come, which he did when he went to hell and was risen. So which is correct? Did the Old Testament saints go to Abraham's bosom and await Jesus, or did they go to heaven being credited as righteous? Now, that's a really good question, and uh, that's probably something that I should have addressed in the Romans 3.25 lesson, but it's not necessarily tied only to that verse. That verse really uh, goes more to the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. So I know that this question is one of those questions that many, if not most, Christians really struggle with, and there are a few points that I want to make in order to to hopefully clear this up. First of all, if, if God didn't allow the saints into heaven immediately, then he wasn't truly passing over the sins previously committed. He was still holding those sins against them because they weren't brought immediately into his presence. Instead, it would have been more accurate to say that he was postponing the release of his wrath to unleash it upon Christ on Calvary. Instead, it tells us that he passed over the sins previously committed, which I take to indicate that he forgave 
those sins, crediting Christ's righteousness to them, knowing that the day would come when his justice would be satisfied. And that's why we're going to read in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, that Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness. If Abraham were to have to await redemption in Abraham's bosom, or you know whatever you want to call this, this holding cell, um, then the text should have read something like, you know, Abraham believed God, and that would come to be credited to him as righteousness. And, you know, that that issue right there, that argument right there, that, that God passed over their sins is probably the, the most important thing that we have to take into consideration here. But that doesn't answer the part about Abraham's bosom, so let's, let's talk about that. The bosom of Abraham is referred to in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 23, when Jesus is telling the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. And what makes this confusing for so many people is that this is the only place that Abraham's bosom is specifically mentioned. So we can't you know, cross-reference any other passages in Scripture to hopefully, you know, try to gain some insight as to what it is exactly. But many uh, Bible teachers and and theologians, myself included, would, would consider this bosom of Abraham not to be a place in hell, but to have been a reference to heaven, which I think, you know, would make the most sense, because verse 25 tells us that this bosom of Abraham was a place of comforting and was separated from this place of suffering, which was hell, by an impassable chasm. And that's basically saying that somebody who is in hell can't get into heaven and vice versa. It's an impassable chasm. Now, the idea that the bosom of Abraham was a place where souls and spirits awaited judgment, you know, until uh, until Christ came, wasn't introduced really until the third century, and that's when the idea that, that Jesus descended into hell was introduced as well. And that came almost, you know, 200 years or so after the New Testament had been written. The Bible tells us where Jesus went when he surrendered his spirit on the cross. He didn't go to hell. He didn't go to, you know, any other place but heaven. When he died, he cried out, Father, into your hands, into your hands, I commit my spirit. That's Luke twenty three forty six. For that reason, I don't believe that Jesus went to hell or any place other than heaven following his crucifixion. Jesus' supposed descent into hell was affirmed by a late creed. Uh, you know, like I said, 200 years later, it was written a couple centuries after the New Testament. But the earliest creeds written by the apostles and other early believers didn't mention a descent into hell at all. Now, I know that the verse you guys are probably all sitting there thinking of right now is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, or, you know, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 20. Many people use this passage or, or these verses to support the notion that, that Jesus went to Abraham's bosom to proclaim the message of victory or the gospel to these spirits who are in kind of a, a holding cell. Abraham's bosom. So let's take a look at that verse from 1 Peter chapter 3. Um, Let's just set the context a little bit by reading all three verses, 18, 19, and 20, which say, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, when you read this passage, the the confusing part is where it says that Christ went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. You know, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's try to make some sense 
Let's try to make some sense out of this. Verse 20 just told us that those were the people who were disobedient to God while God was patiently waiting for Noah to complete the ark. He waited 120 years. God had said that he won't strive with man forever. You know, that's Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. And then in 1 Peter, you know, the same book that this... um that this controversial passage comes from. In 1 Peter 1.11, we find that Peter tells us Jesus ministered through the prophets to people. 1 Peter 1.11 says, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them, that is, the prophets, was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Now, don't miss the fact that it tells us that the Spirit of Christ ministered through the prophets. And then in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we we see Peter refer to Noah as a, a preacher or a proclaimer of righteousness. That is, he is he was basically a prophet. Uh, you know, Peter was obviously pretty fond of Noah. He made several references to Noah. And for that reason, I find it a lot more likely that this passage, you know, chapter 3, verses uh, 18 through 20, means that Jesus proclaimed the righteousness of God through Noah. He he. he proclaimed the message of faith through Noah to the evil men of Noah's age by the Spirit of Christ. It was the Spirit of Christ that proclaimed righteousness through Noah while Noah was building the ark. Now, let's also not miss the fact that Peter was writing in the present tense. He says the spirits are now in prison. So these are spirits that were not uh, set free. Peter's writing this several years after Jesus had ascended. And, you know, obviously, you know, that was that was after the crucifixion. So, you know, these spirits had refused the testimony of Noah, which was manifested by the Spirit of Christ ministering to them through Noah. So when Peter writes that Jesus was made alive in the Spirit, he's talking about the Spirit of Christ in the same sense that he was talking about it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11. And finally, just looking at the context as a whole, which is something we should always do when we're reading scripture. This entire section of 1 Peter, uh, you know, chapter 3, verses 13 to 22, was written in order to encourage the believers to keep a good conscience and to remain strong in their faith in the midst of unjust persecution. And Peter refers to Noah as an example of someone who encountered and endured such persecution, unjust persecution, but he remained faithful despite the ridicule, despite the persecution. Noah obeyed God, and continued to proclaim God's message. One final point I'd like to make regarding, you know, whether the, the Old Testament saints had to be held in a place that was neither heaven or hell, or, or maybe it was, you know, this place in hell. Why would God rapture both Enoch and Elijah if they weren't immediately going to be brought into his presence? If they weren't going to be brought immediately into God's presence, what good would they do in this place called Abraham's bosom, or, or hell, or whatever you want to call it? They wouldn't have been able to experience fellowship with God, and they wouldn't have been able to uh, to have the Spirit of Christ minister through them to those around them. So to have raptured them, uh, and just to put them aside and, and to make them wait, seems kind of pointless unless they were immediately brought into God's presence. So, to answer this question, I don't see any way around it. Uh, Old Testament saints were forgiven in advance. They were credited righteousness because God knew that the day was coming in which his justice would be satisfied on Calvary. Because righteousness was credited to them, 
they were able to be brought into heaven. So hopefully, you know, this clears it up a little bit for you guys. I'm sure that this is probably going to spark even more questions, but, uh, you know, feel free to email me and, and look at the text yourself. You know, don't be afraid to, to, to get in there and get your hands dirty and, and really take a, take a good look at this stuff. But, you know, I'm just trying to give you guys my most educated response, but, you know, I don't claim to be correct 100% of the time either. I just try to be. So anyway, hopefully you guys appreciate that. Uh, But God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. That's going to be our final question. We are out of time. But thank you for listening. Again, we are a listener-supported ministry. If you support us, if you support what we're doing, and the Lord has led you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org, and on the right-hand side there is a box where you can click support, and you can make a tax-deductible donation to us there. Or, if you would like to support us just by helping us to get the word out there, if you could write a review for Bible Study Podcasts on whatever podcast downloading service you use, whether it's iTunes or, or Juice or whatever you use, if you could write a review for us, that would help us get the word out about BibleStudyPodcast.org, and that would be just a blessing to us as well. So, thank you guys. Be sure you guys listen tomorrow. I'll be preaching on Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7 from Oak Grove Baptist Church in Waxhaw, North Carolina. I will see you guys next time. God bless you. Keep growing closer to Jesus.